Hi, podcast listeners. Brittany and Marie here with Four and Half and the Property Management Show. Um, today we had a really cool guest. We talked with Sean Johnson of Independence Capital Property Management. He's an investor, a property manager, um, all-around great guy. And he actually shared with us a lot of golden nuggets that property managers can implement to work better with investor clients. Yeah. If you're interested in that, stick around and listen to our podcast. Thank you again for joining us, Sean. Um, Obviously, we talked a little bit before this, but we're really excited to have you here. Um, Obviously, I've known you for, we've known each other for almost four years, Sean. Did you know that? That's almost how old I am. Um, (laughs) You should pick better friends. (laughs) (laughs) You take what you can get. Today, we want to talk to you um, a little bit about something that I know you're really passionate about. Should Should I start again? Yeah, we can. Um, well, you're, you're like playing with it. Um, so today we want to talk to you about something I know you're really passionate about because we've talked a lot about it in the past, um, but just about investing and the property management relationship versus the investor experience and how those two kind of come together. But before we get into that, um, you've been on the podcast before, but you were on the podcast with Kristen and you guys probably talked a, a little bit about yourself before. I want to hear more just about you and how, how you got into real estate investing. Um, obviously you've been doing it for a really long time, which is crazy. So yeah, tell I'm us not that old. That. I mean, <laughs> 97. You started when you were two. Yeah. Well, no, I know. Well, I, we were looking at it and I didn't even know this, but somewhere, I think it was on your bio on your website said that you started real estate investing in like 2002 or 2003. And I'm like, no, there's no way that that's accurate. Sean, Sean is like three years older than me. That makes no sense. I was 20. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of the gig. I uh, bought a house when I was 20 years old, Uh, lived in Phoenix, Arizona. And by just pretty much pure luck, the market was taking off and uh, I was able to sell that house. I kept it two years cause I didn't want to pay capital gains. So it was my primary residence and kept it two years, sold it and, and it netted uh, $65,000 in profit. So that was kind of what got me in the bug of real estate. And so I made this like big goal. I thought, you know what, by the time I'm 27, I want to own three cash flowing rental properties. Well, 27 came and, and went and <laughs> didn't happen. And I was super disappointed. But at the time I was in a live in flip. Now Chris and I were uh, remodeling a house and the intent was to buy it and do a live in flip and and sell it. And uh, we broke even on the stupid thing. Like it didn't even make us any money. Oh gosh. Just like a $2,000 or something after we. Was it because you just didn't have the experience yet and you were just like throwing money at it or it just. No, I think, uh, I think what happened is the market turned. So this was like in 2008. And so we bought it as a HUD. Uh, foreclosure home. Um, but yeah, it just uh, did not appreciate like we expected it to after we put, you know, we put about $25,000 into it in a remodel and I did all the work, but um, yeah. So I was a little disappointed, you know, that, that sucks. So I started getting into rental properties at that point And most of that's been through the property management company and, and how easy it can be to get into that because of property management. So it's kind of my passion. Like 
I really enjoy spending time with uh, other investors and talking to them how they can increase their portfolios and and uh, think of different, more creative ways to to invest. So that's yeah, a little bit about me. I was working a full time job through all that, um, and uh, I owned a full service car wash at the time too, totally unrelated to property management. So, wow, I didn't yeah. know that. My so question. Full- yeah, full-time job and a car wash. So yeah, Chris. So I can bring my car to you and you. Yeah, you could have. I sold that. Yeah. <laughs> but what if I drive to you right now? <laughs> sure, we'll wash it. Sounds like no way. <laughs> but what were you thinking? Like, what? At twenty years old, you had a full-service car wash, and you just decided, hey, I'm just gonna buy a house because I want to start investing. What was going through your mind? Yeah. So at 20, I, I actually was a little older when I bought the car wash. So 20, when I bought the house, um, first house, that was just a, I guess a flip, live and flip. And, um, then I think I was 26 when Chris and I bought the car wash. Um, it did I, cripple my hopes for the three rental cash flowing rental properties by the time I was 27. So, um, but anyway, yeah, we sold that and, um, yeah, that was kind of how it began. I guess the entrepreneurial bug was in and wanted to make things happen at a young age. So, Do you think that's pretty common? I feel like, I don't know how often I hear this, but I feel like when I do hear that, it kind of sticks to me. So it makes me think it happens more com- more commonly than it does. But do you feel like a lot of the investor friends you have or or investor clients that you work with get started young? Or do they, is that not yeah. very common? I would say most, most young, but there are those exceptions that, you know, have worked a W2 job, retire, and then they're like, what do I do? I need to figure something else out, you know? So I would say probably more common as a young age, but yeah, I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> the old, old question, you know, is it born or are you born as an entrepreneur or bred as one? Mix of both, maybe. I don't know, you know? So, um, so, when you were 20, bought your first house, um, and you know, you started acquiring more properties. Um, did you at one, at one point or another, try to manage the properties yourselves when you started, um, treating them as rental properties? Yeah. So right up my first few rental properties. Yes. Managing them myself, uh, Chris and I, and, um, once I, you know, once we brought on staff and a team to manage the property management company, I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to manage these myself. And, um, it takes the emotions. I, I, I've never really been an emotional person towards like, uh, intrinsic things like that. So like, there's no emotional attachment to any of our properties, but, but there is an emotional attachment to make them cash flow and to, you know, I mean, perform. And so, yeah, all of our, our managers, our property managers manage our, portfolio. I have, I have rental properties in Indianapolis, Indiana too. And I have a management company that manages those. So like, I want nothing to do with the management side because I feel like being objective and having a different, um, maybe perspective on the, the, the property itself, uh, makes them perform better. And be, what kind of hypocrite would I be if I was managing my own and I own a management company, right? I need to utilize the tools that I have in place, um, is how I feel. So uh, but before you 
had the um, property management company established, um, were you considering or did you try to manage your own and then decided like, hey, we need people? <laughs> no, no, actually no. So yeah, the first rental property that uh, I purchased, um, we had already had the property management company. And uh, so uh, we probably only had like 30 properties under management at the time. Um, and I was still working a full-time job. I had a really cool schedule. I'd work seven days on, seven days off. And so it, it afforded me the time to, to, you know, really look at investing and to build the property management company on my off time. So, um, so really, no, I've never really managed, like I never bought an investment property to manage the property. It's always, you know, incidental to the business, I guess. Well, so then at what point did you, did you decide to start a property management company? Was it after you owned a bunch and you were like, oh, I think I could do this. This, this would be a good investment. What was that thought process? No. So yeah, Kristen's thought was she, she's the one that really came up with the thought to start a property management company in our, our local town. It's not very big. And we, we didn't feel like there was a lot of, uh, was a good solution for property management. And, um, and so, yeah, she started, uh, started the process to get that going again. I was working full time. So like my focus was not really wanting to be a property manager. Um, but I certainly wanted to succeed at it if we, if we did do it and, and we did, um, do it and it, uh, you know, it's been good. So, uh, but yeah, I definitely didn't start the, probably the typical way I invested in properties I started managing them. I started a management company. That's not how we did it. We did it the opposite. So, yeah. And so do you think that being an investor yourself shapes the way you run the property management company at all? Yeah, I would, I would say so. Um, our local market, uh, a large portion of our portfolio is uh, accidental landlords or, um, you know, they didn't have the intent to buy a rental property. And uh, so a lot of our processes here are uh, catered towards that client. Um, but yeah, I would say like where we do are very strong on the investor side of that is that we take the leasing, um, leasing approach. You know, what's a, what's an investor want? They want three things. They want a fa the fastest tenant. They want the best tenant and want it and they want it for the highest rent. Right. Those are the three big things. And so like we've shaped our entire leasing process on that. Like how do we get a good tenant fast and how do we get the most amount of money? And uh, that's, that's kind of our perspective on how to really maximize our, um, our investors' gains. You know, that, that, that's big for me. I want my house rented and I want it rented for long term and I want the best tenant to be there. So, uh, yeah. And then, so with, with your investor clientele, are they because of the way that you guys run the management company and like the, the main factors that you go after, are these people coming to you saying, I want to buy more property. Are they seeking you out or is that just a pre-established relationship when they start working with you? Yeah. So I, that's actually been a shift that we've made in the business in the last couple of years um, to position ourselves as uh, investor minded uh, property managers. Um, so at first, no, that was not really the case at all. Um, it was always, you know, in the conversation of bringing on a new client, like, yeah, we invest in property too. We, you know, we own rental properties, so we get it but it was never like outward facing and uh, you know, Hey, Hey community, we're, we're investors just like you are. We, 
you know, we, we look at it the same way you do in the same prism. So that's been a shift for us and that's really helped. So yeah, now we have our current clients asking, Hey, I would like to leverage my current property and buy more rental properties. Or, you know, I have, I have a 401k I'd like to, to shift into a self-directed IRA and, uh, and build their portfolios and we help them do that. But that's a recent shift for us. Has that made your life a little bit easier? Cause you're obviously growing with a current clientele instead of bringing on new clients to work with. Yeah, I think so. I think it's, um, it's been really helpful. One thing that kind of unexpectedly happened is that when we launched the, that service, we actually had quite a few of our current investors say, you know what, I've been thinking about selling my house. And so we launched a, a pocket listing program from that. And we, we have a lot more homes than I ever would have thought would have been in that. But it, what I would say to like everybody that is a property manager, shift your mindset to be an investor. And whenever someone, whenever your client comes to you and says, you know what, I'd like to sell my home. Then you think to yourself, how can I buy this house? You know what I mean? Like don't, don't put it on the uh, open market yet until you've evaluated if this fits your portfolio. And that's how we've, we've acquired most of our properties. And uh, so many times it's just super favorable terms. Um, we had a, we had a client of ours. He, he owned two single family homes on the same lot, really nice houses, newer builds, and uh, just did not like being a landlord. Um, and so he's like, I'd like to sell. And we're like, wait a minute, let's see if this works for us. Yeah. And uh, we got it pretty discounted. He offered a 0% uh, owner financing for two years until we refied it out. And, uh, I think we put, uh, I think we put a $30,000 down payment on it. Um, but to pick up two houses that were valued about two, $350,000 to have a 0% for, for two years, that's, that's pretty cool. And they cash flow great. Um, so just to ask those questions are probably not in the forefront of most investors or, or, or landlords to, to even think, you know what, I could sell this like that. And they don't want it anymore. Huh. Oftentimes they're just stressed out with the maintenance or whatever the case may be and just don't have the stomach for it. So if you can ask those questions, you have a really big opportunity. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, what do, do you think that that's not something that a lot of property managers think about when owners come to them? I don't. I really don't. I think, um, I think this industry, real estate in general, uh, produces people that ha are sh very short-sighted and they don't look at the long-term, um, especially in the investing world. Like it's a sales market, right? I'm, I'm working for that 3% commission or whatever commission. And I want, you know, five to $10,000 out of it instead of, you know, if I took that five to $10,000 and bought a rental property, that five to $10,000 will turn into $300,000 in time. But they don't think of it that way. You know, it's like, it's, it's kind of society in a, in, in a hole right now. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't, I don't think in general uh, property managers are, uh, are looking at it that way. And, and that's how I look at everything. Like, yeah. Well, which is kind of interesting because a property managers, well, not all, like you said, but the job is to help people with their investments. So what's the best way to do that is to understand investing as well as you can yourself. And that, like personally for me, that would make me feel so much more comfortable working with a property management company, just knowing that, Hey, they're doing it. They, 
they are going to give me the best advice because they would do it themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, there's a lot of property managers that don't own rental property and it blows my mind. Do you think it's because they don't do real estate? Like, because so something you mentioned is, you know, you get the whatever commission from selling a home, take that money, reinvest it back into a down payment or something for a home that you can invest in. Um, is it is it because some of these companies are only doing property management and maybe they're not at a point where their cash flow is allows, allow, them, to yeah, allows them to do that? Is that something that could be a factor? Whew, I don't know, but uh, if, if their excuse is to not have the cash flow, I've bought so many houses with zero money. And so that's a le- not a legitimate excuse in my opinion. Yeah. So to me, like the excuse is, is uh, they, they think that's just a problem not having the money. Maybe it's a lack of understanding of really what it takes to cash flow a property. I don't know. But that scares me, right? If, if you have a property manager and they don't have the knowledge to, to make a home cash flow, there's a little bit of a red flag there. So yeah, I don't know what it is. I think it's a mindset problem. Yeah. Or a priority it, problem. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would rather, yeah. rather, rather have a nice car than a, than a cash flowing property. I don't know. <laughs> and I think that's, that's absolutely true. It, it all depends on what the property manager is after. Like if you own a property management company, um, you have unique goals, right? Because you started it for, you know, us for, um, for a certain to get to a certain goal. And then if you're planning to grow it, I think the key here is here's a solution to keep growing your company without necessarily, you know, working harder. You can kind of work smarter. So I think the lesson is, hey, there are options out there. You can reach out to your fellow property managers who have probably done the same thing. Um, And so do you feel like there are certain misconceptions that property managers have about like investing um, that you could maybe share and debunk? Yeah, probably the, yeah, probably the biggest one is uh, that you need a bunch of money. And uh, it does take money. Don't get me wrong. Like you could buy houses with zero down. You certainly need enough money if, you know, the furnace went out tomorrow to take care of your tenant, right? You need a safe and functioning home. Um, so I think that's probably the, the biggest thing. Um, the, the other one is maybe like, um, maybe the misconception is like, there's not generational wealth, wealth involved with it, or they don't understand the general rules of compounding interest, um, or just not thinking through it. Because I think most people probably never put pen to paper and really done the numbers on uh, how, how well rental properties can perform over time. Um, and and cash flow, like, okay, if I have $10,000 today, I'm going to convert that to only, you know, $300 a month in cash flow. Well, that doesn't sound very good at, on the surface. But if you look at $300 in cash flow every month for the next 40 years, that's a massive amount of monies. And that's not money. And that's not even talking about appreciation of the property. Yeah. So I, right, yeah. Which, is cr- which is crazy because 40 years, how much, how much is a 800 square foot home going to be worth? Yeah. Well, in San Francisco. <laughs> Very yeah. I don't, I, you know, that's the thing is like, uh, and you're, and you're having a tenant pay your mortgage off. So essentially you won't have any debt on a property or if you even continue to leverage it, that that money that you've used to leverage that property 
can be used to buy more rental properties and compound it even quicker. People just don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that's what's right or wrong. You do what's you know best for you. But I just think that the, some people are missing some really nice opportunities to create generational wealth, not just now. Yeah. And so to go back to talking about like what goes on in the back of the heads of investors like you to sort of help um, other property managers out there understand sort of um, why they do things um, a certain way, so on and so forth. Um, do you think there are misconceptions that property managers have about investors, investor clients, and vice versa, right? Do you think investor clients out there have misconceptions about property management companies? Ah, well, I do think, um, and I've caught myself in this, like you, you get in a trap where you think investors just have money, and when the furnace comes out, you need to just make it happen, right? but life still happens to them too. You know what I mean? Like we've had, we've had some investors that like they get compounded with problems. Um, maybe their personal life, a death or, you know, a spousal divorce or something. And then the furnace goes out and they don't have the money for it. So, you know, they're not trying to be bad landlords. They just have some tough situations. Um, so, so like I would always recommend, I always tell all of my investors that are getting into this, to take the, at least the first year or two of all cash flow and put it into an account and don't touch it. Build it to four or $5,000 and just don't touch it. That's a good capital expenditure account and just be prepared when something happens. And more than likely something may be happening, will happen before that two year mark. So that, I think that's a big misconception property managers have of, of investors. Um, investors, misconceptions of property managers, I think probably the biggest one is that all property managers are the same and they all just collect the rent, right? That is so not true. Um, there are just a, it's a huge gamut of property managers uh, or types of property managers out there. Um, and also think that, you know, they're, they just want to take the money and they don't care about my property. That's also just a huge misconception. Um, in, our, in our business, we're stacking nickels to make a dollar, you know. Um, even if you're fee maximized like our company is, it takes a lot of a lot of properties to turn a profit in this business. And, um, and it can be done very effectively, but um, I think that's just a huge misconception. And in general, I think um, our society, we're just a do it yourself, you know, DIY type of society. Right. And investors, I think if they really understand the, the value that property management companies provide can compound their investing abilities if leveraged properly, use a good property managers. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go write up a 13 page contract and not use an attorney to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. And I also wouldn't manage properties without using a good property manager. Like I, I use other companies to manage my own portfolio. So, um, yeah, right. just, you're not, you're not doing any type of absentee management. No, I can imagine trying to manage a property from five States away. Yeah. That just blows my mind or even in the same County. Because I don't, I wouldn't be privy to the same resources as a property manager, you know, uh, the four and halfs of the world, the app folios of the world, you know what I mean? Like they just don't have the same resources, whether it's right or wrong. Um, but it's a volume thing though. You know, if one landlord's managing one property, they're probably not going to have a lot of issues so that the stress isn't high, but when they get into three or four or five or whatever, that's when it starts to break down and you know, finding good help is extremely important. 
Is that usually when kind of the investor types come to you instead of the accidental type is when they have like three, four, five properties, they're kind of like, oh man. Yeah, I would say under 10 is, yeah, at their max. Um, It gets, it it, it becomes really difficult to manage if you're continuing a W-2 job uh, any more than four four or five properties. Um, I I could not imagine even like, imagining like managing a property right now if I owned it that sounds like and obviously we work with property managers all the time so our mindset is a little bit different than your average person yeah one of our podcast guests um even said you know owning a rental property is like having a child so if you manage it yourself and you have a full-time job and you have three kids I can't even take care of my cat. So it's like, (laughs) no, hire somebody. But (laughs) on the flip side of that, if you have accidental landlords, um, are you, are you able to encourage them down the line to invest in more properties? Uh, Maybe not in Farmington, maybe in like Albuquerque or like expand their portfolio. What's like the secret secret sauce to kind of encourage them and push them in the right direction? Inception. Inception them. Yeah, I say so. I think um, it starts with their first property, and if that first property is actually cash flowing for them, as to the success of being able to get them over the threshold. Um, if they're upside down in the first property, they have a hard time seeing the benefits of um, owning rental property. Although I have I have helped a few investors um, now investors they were accidental landlords at the time to buy more property even though their first one wasn't a performer. Um, and I've helped other guys that have never, just complete virgins to the, to the investment world, um, invest in other states. And you know, our, our market wasn't the, the best for what their current goals. And so we helped them buy in Kansas. And um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, once they get the taste of actual cash flow, I think is kind of how you could get them to continue but if their first property is not cash flowing, it's tough. Yeah. It's really tough. Yeah. Um, would that just be like, so you said upside down, would that just be, they, it has, it's just a horrible property and they can't really make any money off of it. A lot of repairs that need to happen. Maybe it was their parents' house that like hadn't been touched since the fifties or something. Um, is that kind of the typical situation that you can't really, over. Yeah, that's that's probably a common one. I think even more common though is um, the expenses of the properties are more than the the rent um, can be generated. So yeah. you know the the market is the market. We only get to play in it. We don't get to dictate it. And so like you you get a lot of uh, newbies or maybe um, uh, reluctant landlords to say, you know what, my mortgage is thirteen hundred dollars and my taxes are this amount and my, I have to pay insurance and all that stuff. So I need to get eighteen hundred a month. That's not how life works. You know, the market, the, the tenant pool dictates what that house's rent, uh, rent should be. Um, so it may only rent for, you know, 1500, although your expenses are 18. So, um, and we, you get that a lot. I need to get higher rent because your, your management fee is X. Well, <laughs> that's irrelevant, you know? Yeah. So yeah, those are the, those are the, the, that's what I mean by upside down on a monthly basis really is uh, non-cash flowing. And so, you know, we heard a lot about certain pushbacks that you get from 
you know, real estate investors. So maybe they don't understand what property management is. They think you just collect rent or, you know, they demand a certain rent amount to cover their expenses. Like what are the other common pushbacks you get specifically from investors? And what is your go-to response that works every time? Oh man, go-to response. Uh, we've got a playbook for that. <laughs> you have a Jeremy Pound playbook? Yeah, we do have a Jeremy Pound playbook and that guy is amazing. Oh um, yeah, we're working with him too. Yeah, yeah, he's actually, he's been working really closely with uh, Marie and Logan redoing our sales process. Um, nice. Logan's like loving it so far because he's like, man, like I there are all of these objections that I know the answer to, but my words just weren't efficient. If, yeah. In getting the point. Across. Yeah. So it's like, um, but we're essentially working with him so we can have a better understanding of how it works so we could recommend it to our clients. Cause it makes our life a lot easier if people are actually closing business. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've been involved with some of that. Um, I don't, you know, I don't do our, uh, new client bring on stuff like uh, our BDM does, but uh, probably the big, biggest thing is uh, I just need you to collect the rent and find a tenant, you know what I mean, and manage that. And that's that's a pushback. I, I would say, you know, we have other, we have so many other processes in place are there to protect your asset. And so we want to, we want to maintain two things here. We want to make sure that you, we are maximizing your long-term returns for your property and we want to minimize the risks involved in owning a rental property. Those are our two main objectives. And if we can maintain, you know, if we could satisfy those, you're going to be very successful, successful at this. So like typically, you know, like I need rent and you know, that's all I want and make sure the tenants taking care of the house. That's only a small portion of what we have to do as a property manager. So that's kind of my typical feedback to those. Well, you know, like, to it. Yeah. And it's like, I guess you can't, you can't really say this to an investor, but it also, if they want you to just do that, that's not in your best interest either. Cause then the tenant's going to think that you're doing full service management for the property. The landlord's going to do something wrong and you're going to get blamed on social media or Google or sure. whatever. Yeah. We turn into that slumlord or something, you know, I guess you yeah. can't say that to them though. Well, actually if, if you just want full, full rent or rent collection and us to check in on it, that's bad for us. So no, no, no. Yeah. Um, Maybe you should do that actually. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a method of persuasion there. Yeah. <laughs> Re reverse psychology. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> and so what other types of pushbacks do you get um, that you have like a playbook answer to that you'd like to share? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So uh, probably the, the biggest one is we have uh, protection programs, um, you know, rent loss and, and, uh, property protection and eviction protection. And um, although that's probably most geared towards a more of a reluctant landlord that um, doesn't prepare for those bad situations sometimes, um, a pushback from our, um, our investor-minded folks, it does occur. And so I, what I would say is, look, we're minimizing the blow for you. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about if that tenant does lose their jobs. And so often, and I did a study in our, in our applications. I took all the applications that we've ever screened and looked at which ones have actually filed for eviction, those tenants. There's no relation that we found in our portfolio based off a of credit score. None. Oh. 
Um, we really? had, yeah, we had tenants that had 780 credit scores filing for eviction because they lost their job. You know, life, life happened. Yeah. They're not intentionally bad tenants. Yeah. They, you know, life, life happened. And in our market, we had some serious job loss a few years ago. Right. And, um, and uh, yeah, it was a really good thing to look at. So I would tell them, look, it doesn't matter if we have the most ideal tenant on the planet, life can still happen. They can get cancer tomorrow. And so we have these protection programs in place to help soften the blow. We'll pay 30 days worth of rent for you. You know, who else is gonna, nobody else in our market does that. So, you know, it may be cheaper to go somewhere else, but it is more expensive to go there too. But it's about, yeah, exactly. It's about value and it's also about security. It's like, it's like not having insurance on your home almost. Right. It's like life happens, something's going to happen. And if you don't have that security, it's going to cost you a lot more. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's a really good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you guys now include that in all of your packages, huh? Or, or, or do you have a tier that doesn't have that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, our lower two tiers would be, you'd have to pay additional for yeah. that. Our top tier, it's included. Yeah. Do most people t- sign up for your top tier? It's designed that way. And I know, yeah. you know, there's an argument to be made there. Like you're supposed to, you know, get people to take the middle tier. Um, you can get people to take the top tier. That's actually better. Yeah. We've yeah. been good with the, the top tier has been really the draw. You know what I mean? There's just a lot of value in it and it is substantially... Uh, more expensive on the front end than our competitors. So it's better for us to, you know, pack it full of value in our opinion. So I don't know. I like it. Yeah. And I think the important thing to note here is it's not just the packaging that's working for you. Um, I feel like a lot of the reason, a lot of um, credit goes to how you guys are presenting the packages and how you're explaining the benefit versus just, Yep, we do this. We yeah. do maintenance. We do tender screening. We right, like right. it. It sounded a lot like when you get a pushback from an investor, you tie it into what's in it for them, and I think that's super valuable. And you can speak to it honestly because you're you right. you're an investor. You're like, this is what it means to me. Yeah, exactly. I I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> So um, what would you say to people out there who might have this fear that, hey, if I am a property management company owner, I have my own properties being managed by my team. What if there's conflict conflict of interest? Like what would you say to people who have those thoughts? Yeah. So like we look at it as like there's a degree of separation. So yeah, we manage, you know, my team manages our properties um, but manages for our clients. And anytime I, I've never seen it, but if, if I was to see any bias towards our properties, I would really get upset because that's not, that's not who we are. Um, we want them to, to treat, uh, every client equally, you know what I mean? And not give a preference. So, um, what I would say to that is like, look, look towards uh, dedicated property managers more than, um, than those that are managing their own properties because that's important, right? You don't want a sales agent at the closing table about to make $10,000 and your property's water heater goes out and is flooding your house for them to ignore the phone call, right? 
because what's more important to them now is $10,000, not your flooding house. So what's more important is to have a dedicated property manager, not one that's meddling in it. Don't meddle in this business. <laughs> it's too risky. You know, take it full time and take it serious is what I would say to an, an investor that kicked back on that. And I don't know that I've actually ever had that, um, that issue. Usually when uh, investors say, you know what, you, you guys own your own properties. Yeah, we do own our own properties. My team manages them. That's a, that's a good thing for them. They feel warm and fuzzy about it. So yeah, it's almost like validating how much you trust them. You're like, no, I'm not going to use another property management company in the area because we're the best and you guys do the best job. Yeah. 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 It, like it would be weird to call my competitor and say, hey, can you manage my own properties and I don't yeah. use my own company? Yeah. I don't believe my own processes. So, you know. And there, is a, there is such a thing as over-managing too. So it's mm -hmm. like if your team was just focused on your properties, I feel like the tenants would be like, what's happening? Why are these people checking up on the property all the time? I don't know. There, I mean, there are a bunch of things that could go wrong. So it's like all of those things. Sure. Yeah. Overmanagement is a real thing. Yeah. And so is it part of like your training or your processes that like, I mean, obviously your people will know that, you know, oh, these properties are owned by the owners and it's sometimes subconscious, like, oh, I kind of want to take care of it. It's kind of like, you know, it's, it's like, ours. yeah, if I mess up, if I mess up, like it's more personal. Cause I know the guy, it's not like this investor client, it's like my boss. And so how do you protect against that? And instill the thought that, no, I mean it when I say treat my property, like any other property in the portfolio. Yeah. I think it's just setting the expectations at first. I don't know if there's a process that can be put into that, but it's certainly an expectation. Look, don't treat it different. Um, as a matter of fact, if, you know, if my water heater goes out at two o'clock in the morning, I want you to treat it the same as any other, you know what I mean? It's important. So yeah, just setting the expectation up front is, is big and it's, it's been good for us. We, and, and so like we have employees that, uh, own their own rental properties too. And we make a rule, like you don't get to manage your own under our umbrella. That's smart. You will, you will use another property manager to do this because I don't want the bias in our office. So I think that's a really great rule. Yeah. I mean, in hindsight, it sounds like, oh, of course do that. But when you're so busy dealing with a day to day, you're like, hey, I just bought this property. And you're just like, oh, I, want, I don't want to hassle my, co my colleague property manager with my property because I know it needs X, Y, Z. I'll handle it. And you think you're helping the team. But what you're saying is maybe you're not helping the team because right. then you're introducing these gaps in your laid out process of no conflict of interest. Yep, exactly. Do your employees pay the same for property management services? Do they, <laughs> do they get a discount? So we give it a cost. It's a cost. Okay, that's really cool. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So, sorry, I don't know. My TMI can cut it out. I was just curious. Yeah. So like to take that to the next level, really uh, focusing on launching a program in the office for maybe those employees that don't have uh, really any money or a lot of money set aside where they can put some money set aside instead of like in a simple or 401k that we then pull that money together and buy properties with it. And so, yeah, that we talked about that yesterday at our level 10 meeting and seemed like a huge hit. So we're hoping yes. to, yeah, hoping to launch that, you know, I, I want to build, I want to build wealth for other people. And I think that's a really good way to do it. So 
That's so cool. And that's such a cool incentive like for your employees too, to, to make them feel important. We, I mean, we talked to Melissa Prandy a while back about ways to incentivize your employees outside of just like money. Mm-hmm. And I think obviously that turns into money, but that's something that they wouldn't necessarily, some of them maybe, but they wouldn't necessarily go out and do on their own or think of doing. That's awesome. I really, really like that. Well, and I think it shifts their mindset too. Think about like if five of us pulled our money together and then uh, we bought a house and then six months later we have a large capital expenditure. Well, they're going to look at it as, oh crap, that's my money. And now we have to make the decision based off of that instead of managing properties for others and it's not my money. Yeah. You know I mean, I, it still needs to be, get done, but it's not my money. So it shifts that mindset, I think, is, is investors. Really cool. Yeah. So do you have any advice to property managers out there who may be interested in dipping their toe into investing, but, you know, there's a lot of risk and, you know, they don't want to go all in right now. Maybe they're not sure it's for them. They want to sort of, you know, um, litmus test it first. What could you give them in terms of advice just to get started? Yeah, if they're looking to just kind of uh, maybe touch it and not take on so much risk and to diversify that out, I would recommend like participating in a syndication or a REIT, real estate investment trust is my advice. And so you'd put that money in and it would buy a, you know, maybe a large multifamily or a portfolio of single families. And, um, you're, you know, you're risking that capital, but the chances of it actually not performing is less. And just make sure that whoever you're investing with is credible, right? They have a, they have a track record and they've done this before and they, they can prove that their other ones are cash flowing as well. So that's if they want to start with that, but also look at like ways they can minimize the risk. Um, look at properties like here's, here's an example of property I bought a few years ago. Um, we had a landlord that just was done with it. She never intended to be a landlord. And um, Chris and I bought it for $143,000 and we essentially took over the mortgage. Uh, we, we didn't put any money down, but the house was worth about two ten, um, And so, but it needed updates. It was, it needed some love. Um, and she did not have good um, rates, like uh, favorable terms on her mortgage. And so what our thought was, okay, we'll pick it up for $143,000. Um, and uh, we'll put money into it. We put about $30,000 into it. And uh, then we refinanced it out and got good terms. Like she had mortgage insurance premium to pay for, and it just wouldn't cash flow if we kept it the way it was. And so now it cash flow is like $600 a month and we put no money down on it. Yeah. We had to put some remodel and rehab into it, but we already knew that it had an equity bring. So the, the risk was minimized. Um, and obviously as a property manager, you know, the rental market, I knew the rentability of this house, the location, um, you know, the rent rate that we should bring once we do a remodel and all that stuff. So you already have the knowledge, just leverage the sales and the investment knowledge on that. And you could really minimize your risks uh, involved. And so we still have that property today and it's just cash flow and love. (laughs) It's almost like having cheat codes to a game, right? Because you understand the rental side. And so if you're not as savvy in the sales side, you could seek help or as you mentioned, diversify rather than just purchasing one property, just a pool of properties. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. What about, I mean, there are obviously nationwide companies 
um, that you can do stuff like that online with now. Are there any companies that you, you'd recommend or would you steer clear of those? Those. I, you know, I haven't done that myself. Um, I think there's realty shares. Uh, I've heard good things about them um, where you can buy a share of investment properties. Um, yeah. I like the idea. Um, I play around on Stash, which is an app. And it's a, I don't know if you've heard of Stash, but it's, um, it's a stock trading app. And it's like, I could buy stocks for like 10 cents. You know, it's just so stupid small. You know what I mean? I think I only have like $500 in there. But the point is, is like, there are opportunities to really just yeah. minimize those risks. And the one thing I love about real estate beyond any other investment is that you're probably never going to see a $0 value asset because there's, there's either insurance. So if it burned to the ground tomorrow, there's insurance to take care of that. Right. Yeah. But stocks could go to zero right? The company can close their doors and they go to zero or even turn into a penny stock. Um, and you've lost your value. That's what I love about real estate. There's security in that. Um, so yeah, if you, if you're looking at investing and to get into this, I think, you know, the easiest way is to diversify out and maybe, maybe do like a, um, a syndication or a, a REIT or look for another investor in, in town and say, Hey, you know what? I've got a little bit of money. I, you're an expert. Can I team up with you and put my money into this and we can, you know, split it however you decide, you know, and, and just get your, your toes wet. There's a ton of ways to find mentors in this business. And there's a ton of good mentors out there um, that can really teach you the ropes and take those fears. away. I, I know it's hard for a lot of people just to, to, to make that first deal. The first deal is always the hardest. Um, but I think once you've done it um, and you find the, the right help to, to get you through it, uh, it'll be a, It'll be a savvy way to live. Can you think of instances or circumstances where a property manager should not invest themselves? Yeah. Yeah. The, the big one is <laughs> like, yes. really like if you don't have the financial capabilities to support the home and provide a functioning safe home for the tenant, don't, don't invest. Um, you can get yourself in a sticky situation there. Um, I look at it like if you had a, a self-directed IRA and typically you have to use cash to buy properties there and say you had a hundred thousand dollars to invest, um, you wouldn't want to go buy a hundred thousand dollar property because there's limitations to add more, more money to a self-directed IRA. Um, so you would want to probably buy an $80,000 property and have some reserve in case something happens, you know? And so like I would say that to any investor, look, you need to plan um, and have several thousand dollars on the side just in case something happens. And, and if nothing happens, then, you know, use that cash flow to build that account and then use that initial $6,000 reserve that you had to go buy more property. Yeah. So. Good advice. I'm going to go buy investment property. Yeah. I mean, obviously I will someday. We can pool our We should. We together. should pool. You should. Yeah. Do you see, have you, um, I'm going to ask a little personal question now. <laughs> um, have you seen any bad experiences from people like getting involved with their siblings and buying investment property? I feel like that's kind of like a nightmare waiting to happen. My brother and sister are always like, let's, let's invest in a cabin in Tahoe together and we can rent it out for most of the time. And then, then, you know, go there a couple times a year. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Sorry, you guys, if you're watching, but I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that with you guys. I don't yeah. think that's the right move. 
I would just say be very selective on the partners you choose, regardless if it's family or not. Um, when money gets involved, people make funny decisions. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I have a few partners that I'm comfortable with doing business with, but um, there are a select few. And my dad being one of them, I do business with my dad all day, any day. He is a very, very wise and level-headed person, but not everybody has that. Uh, you know, that opportunity. So um, I would be very careful. Yeah. And, and beyond that, before, beyond being careful with it, make sure that you have an agreement that yeah. spells out how to proceed. So if something does come up, revert back to the agreement and make sure that you, you know how to move forward. Yeah. That's good advice. Like, do you recommend having an agreement notarized by a, you know, notarized with a lawyer and yeah, so what I would recommend is just buy properties in, in uh, limited liability companies or LLCs and have an operating agreement and you refer to the operating agreement when needed, so. Yep. Yeah, one, one good way to remove emotions and like, you, but you're the favorite, I get yeah. more. <laughs> I'll, I'll call you when I'm ready, Sean, and you can give me a cheat sheet. <laughs> All right, yeah, I'm willing to help anytime. <laughs> um, so I have another question. Um, so for property management companies who, you know, work with some investors, but they have not honed like their messaging or positioning to be the solution for investors. Um, if they don't do, you know, brokerage um, services, how can they position themselves? Because, right, if you do both sales and property management, it's kind of a no-brainer, like, oh, we help you buy more, sell, and then manage. But it, what if all you want to do is property management, but you want to work with investors? What can you do? Yeah, so I, I think of a couple things. I would, I would recommend, like, doing a, um, I don't know what event, event planning, um, and just maybe just do an investor gathering where you're just getting investors together um, they're going to see you as, you know, the startup of that and the leader of that and, and just generally associate you with investors. Um, so that's, that's one, one way to go. I would say that just being a pro being a property management company is a really huge asset. I, I really like that because their focus is property management and, um, they get that realm of it. So, but just to be in a property management company doesn't mean that you can't have the the education and the the wherewithal to make good financial investment decisions um, for your or, you know with your clients. So you know to position yourself as like I, I know how to analyze deals. If we get a property that that makes sense, um, I'm very comfortable with doing that. And uh, it, it may be a slower process at first, but getting uh, the message out there is it, probably the biggest way to do that. Is start a a gathering. You know, like a like a monthly um, investor group or something like that. Um, and that would probably be the fastest way to get there. Um, other ways is just building relationships with realtors that um, are investor minded. And uh, if those realtors are, are investor minded, look, take them out to coffee, um, take them to dinner or whatever, and just say, look, here's my interest. I really like investing. I, I'm, not, I'm not a competitor to you. You're not a competitor to me, but I think we could throw business at each other. And, um, and, uh, you know, I have that investor mindset and I know you do too. And so when you have an investor that's looking for a rental property, um, help them buy it. But I, I would love to be able to analyze that deal uh, too. That way, you know, that person gets double the value, right? They're, they're getting two people or essentially three guys to, to, to look at that deal and make sure it's going to cash flow for them. Yeah. 
That makes a lot of sense. Um, I had another question. Okay. And so you mentioned something interesting. You said that if you just do property management and that's your expertise, there's no reason to not be able to get education out there to analyze these investment deals and position yourself as like, hey, I can actually show you like the future of this that's property. Yeah, but where, where would one get that kind of education? Like, is it a class? Do they have to join a group? Is yeah, there a certificate? Do you get licensed? Do you have to get licensed or do you watch some YouTube videos? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Probably a good start. Yeah. There is so much free content out there around investing in real estate, in real estate specifically, um, that I don't think that's what I love about our society, that there's so much information readily available and it's free. Um, so like places I would go that, that I do spend a lot of time on is Bigger Pockets. Uh, Bigger Pockets is just a massive place for um, savvy investors. There's a lot of not savvy investors there too, but they're all there to help each other out. Um, there's a lot of podcasts, real estate podcasts and phenomenal ones um, that I would be searching out. But then finding find someone in your local market that's doing it and spend time with them picking their brain don't be a, don't be a leech though. Don't, you know, want to go to lunch and then have them pay for it and crap like that. Don't, don't be like that. <laughs> don't like but, show up outside their house in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, don't be creepy. About it, but, you know. <laughs> I want to learn about real estate. I want to learn about this. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, approach them and, and try to find a place where you can create value for them. Um, they're willing, they'll probably be willing to expend their time uh, and help you through it. Um, that's how I would do it if I was starting over. So, okay. So we covered a lot of things right now, which I think (laughs) is really great. I got a lot of good advice. Um, hopefully our listeners have too. If we, um, if there's like one point that a, a property manager slash investor should take away from this conversation, what, what would that be? Yeah, the biggest thing is I would say stop thinking short term and think long term. The, it, you know, most of us are probably self-employed out there um, or independent contractors, whatever. But to rely on a social security system that's debunked pretty much is silly to me. So take matters into your own hands, uh, find ways to create your own wealth and really understand the uh, the magic of compounding interest, you know, um, and beyond all that, there are so many cool, like if you're, if you're crushing it as a real estate agent, there are so many cool tax, um, liability or tax reduction capabilities that owning real estate has to reduce your tax liability. Um, and so like if you're paying a bunch of taxes cause you're crushing it, it sells, Owning rental property is a really good way to reduce that tax liability. Um, that's where I'd go with that. Think, think of ways. Oh, and you should look at the real estate professionals deduction out there if you're talk to your CPA about that because it's big. Wow, it's the first I've heard of it. I know it's the first. We should get nuggets, it. man. Golden nuggets. There's one right there. Yeah, I think one thing Maria and I really learned from this is that we should go get our our license and just. <laughs> 
That'll yeah. be our third job. Yeah, that'll be our third job. <laughs> this is the first jobs are like our day jobs. This is yeah. our second job for the podcast. Hosts, yeah. And then we can be. Then we have our fourth job as cat wranglers. Um, <laughs> Which pays no money. Yeah. It's, it's a thankless job. It is a thankless job. Um, and yeah. for those of you who don't like cats, we like dogs as well here. And birds. <laughs> don't um, we like all animals, creatures of the world. We like them all. Um, <laughs> well, thank you, Sean, so, so much. Um, I hope to have you back in the future. There were a couple things that you said that really intrigued me. So we'll pick your brain about that um, sometime. But thank you so, so much for joining us. This was a really interesting talk and we can't wait to share it with people. Well, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And to all our listeners out there, um, say hi to Sean and, um, let us know if you have any topics you think that would be great to talk to him in the future about, or just questions you have, and we'll try to handle them on this show. Thanks for listening.